Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. If you've been listening to our past podcasts, you've heard from people with ALS, you've heard from caregivers, you've heard from staff, board members, uh, researchers, um, lots of a wide range of backgrounds because ALS is a very diverse disease itself. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Meg Drescher, whose mother is living with ALS, and we're going to be talking about uh, the, her experience with fighting ALS, and dealing with it on a day-by-day basis as a family member and caregiver, um, and you know things that she's been involved with here and the benefits with the chapter. Uh, before we get into the topics today, I uh, want to let you know that you can get involved at www.alsphiladelphia.org. We always need people to donate, advocate, volunteer, be an ambassador, raise awareness, so there's a lot of things that you can do to help the ALS cause. You can also donate to a Walk to Defeat ALS team all year round, even if the walk is over, and that's at www.gpcwalktodefeatals.org. That's GPC for Greater Philadelphia Chapter, in case you couldn't understand me, which happens. And also, you are welcome to follow us on every social media channel at ALS Philadelphia, all one word. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, well, many other things. I don't even always remember what they are. I'm the one doing them. So please do that. And, of course, subscribe and like us and comment on YouTube, on, on uh, iTunes, which is where you can find all of our podcasts. We have uh, almost 10,000 downloads so far with our first year, and we really want to spread awareness so we can do good for the ALS cause. All that out of the way, like I said, we have Meg Drescher. And thank you, Meg, for joining our podcast today and talking to us about your ALS experience. Sure. Thanks for having me, Tony. So we've been talking back and forth about getting you in here. You're you're at our office, though we're kind of in a bland boardroom <laughs> right now, so it doesn't seem that way. Thankfully, this is audio, so no little. Okay. <laughs> so um, tell me about your family experience with ALS and when you when ALS came into your life. Sure. So um, my mom, uh, Joanne, uh, was diagnosed officially November 6th of 2013, but her symptoms, we believe, started as early as December of 2012. Mm-hmm. And it took, as I know many of the stories go, uh, so many months to get a diagnosis and finally make our way to um, the ALS diagnosis and here as the chapter. Now, um I'm going to be interrupting a bunch. No, please, go ahead. uh, Because I was just doing another podcast, which appeared last week, which is next week from when this is recording, so the time continuum is weird, uh, with Andy Miller, and he was talking about how his symptoms were with his leg, and it just, it wasn't so, and his toe, and it wasn't so much that they were normal symptoms, like oh my, I'm having trouble breathing, but just weird symptoms. Is that how it was with you guys? Absolutely. It was really strange because my mom was always um, super healthy, very, very active. Was Andy. And Andy too, right? And I know I've heard a lot of patients Mm -hmm. had that same kind of profile. And my mom was actually um, seeing our uh, physical therapist uh, for a back issue, you know, benign back issue. And she had a dropped middle finger in her left hand. Mm. And she asked, is it because I was doing too many weights or was I overexerting myself at the gym? And I actually credit that physical therapist. She said, you know, this appears to be neurological. You need to go see a neurologist. And she really set us on the course to get the diagnosis. Yeah, that's something that's really underappreciated because we talk here about doctors and neurologists, which are terrific, and there's a level of that hierarchy, I guess, of caregivers and, and professionals. Like, oh, they know things. But people right. at all levels of professional services um, are able to know things. So ask people. There's a lot of people that are experts in those fields. Definitely. And they know a lot more than what they're just doing at that moment. 
Absolutely. If it wasn't for her, I don't, I don't even know. It, it would have taken so much longer. Right. Because you, you don't know what you don't know. And ALS was far from your mind. Oh, it really was. We, we had actually an initial neurologist kind of speculate, but it was so premature. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't gone through all the, the battery of tests that you have to. So it, it ended up taking, you know, until that following November. So you didn't, you didn't know much about ALS before this, right? In 2012? No. You know, I, I knew it was Lou Gehrig's disease. I heard about it. I, I knew it was, we all knew it was awful, but that's all we knew. And this was a while before the Ice Bucket Challenge. Yes. And, and even then, people knew about the Ice Bucket Challenge more than they knew about ALS. Yes. So, um, and Steve Gleason was coming. But, I mean, let's be honest, as great as Steve Gleason is, if you're in the Philadelphia area, you probably don't know Steve Gleason too well. Exactly. So, um, when you first heard those letters, did you start researching and be like, what's that? We did. I think, you know, we're a family who likes to get all the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, I think... Um, and. We're a family of five, so we went out and started researching, trying to learn about things. We knew it wasn't a great prognosis, but until you really dig into things, you really learn the devastating nature of it. So it took how many months from that first symptom with the physical therapist to finally getting some closure on this? I think it was um, it was January of 2013, so it took, what, November 6th, just uh, almost 11 months. Wow. That's, that's a long time for for that, and you were things were probably percolating in your head the whole time, right? It was, and we actually one of the neurologists that we first saw, not the one that we see now, who specializes in ALS, but the first neurologist thought there could be another type of condition, another motor neuron condition that could have been the case for this, and we were so hopeful. And there was a course, a six month course of treatment mm-hmm. that you had to go through, and you either showed immediate you know, relief of symptoms or nothing. And that's when we saw that there was nothing. That's when he had referred us to our current neurologist. Now, you don't know this, but I don't think, but my grandfather had ALS. Oh, I didn't know that. See? Oh, you didn't know. (laughs) And he, I I know with my grandmother, she, every time she heard there was maybe this or maybe that, she's like, no, it's probably this. I'm like, no, it's, it's this. Like, we can see how this is rapidly progressing. Was it, were you guys looking for... The best answer or the right answer along the time, I guess, is you know, how that's, I put it. That's a great question. And I oh, would good. say... Good. I'm getting better at this. You are getting... <laughs> no, this is very good. You know, and it's... I'm kind of... You're causing me to think because I think it's a little bit of both, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're hopeful for one thing, but you're like, I don't want to get my eye off the ball in case it's the other thing. Exactly. We were so focused on getting her what she needed, but at the same time, I'm sure a lot of families and patients can appreciate this. It's... You just want to think it's anything but right. when it's something so tragic as ALS. Right. So. So once you finally heard, was there, there's the various feelings that go through it. There's the, you don't want that. It's a very bad feeling yeah. to put it as childishly as possible. But also there's some closure to it in that now you can definitively start doing some things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, at least when I heard the diagnosis, and I actually um, have gone to all my mom's appointments even leading up to the diagnosis, so Mm -hmm. I always go with her um, just so I can hear firsthand what's going on. So we both kind of, you know, heard that in the office on November 6th, and I can still picture, you know, where we were sitting, in what room we were sitting that day, and it um, hits you hard. And I think what's really hard, well, there's so many hard things about this disease, but when you first get that diagnosis, at least for me, it's like 
a flood of emotions, you know, like, we're, right. what do we have to do? Hopelessness. I mean, unlike so many other diseases where I feel like you can latch on to hope of getting better or curing something, this is very different. So you're kind of thinking of, well, how can I best help her? You and know, your what, emotions what are do? different than your mom's in the same right. exact moment. Maybe similar, exactly. but very different. Exactly. So I feel like we as, you know, all connected, those of us who have experienced or, or witnessed ALS, you know, it's just, it's a very different complex series of emotions. And I think it's almost harder, I would say, if I had to look back when you first get diagnosed, because you're naturally, right, as humans, we think about everything that's ahead of us. And it's hard because you can't. So mm -hmm. you have to take it, you know, piece by piece, day by day. But that initial diagnosis just causes you to think about everything all at once. So, so how quickly after that do you get connected to the ALS Association? I would say immediately. Um, because that was our, well, I shouldn't say our first clinic visit. Our first clinic visit was January of 2014. Mm -hmm. um, so that was when we got officially connected. And so you met with our patient services department, our, our, our social workers, nurses, and Absolutely. everyone else? Absolutely. We met um, Anne and Gail from the beginning, as, and I'm sure there were others, but those two are always top of mind for us and our go-to people. It's really nice to me as someone, again, that had an ALS personal connection with my grandfather, um, hearing what people like you talk about because they don't say, oh, I met with a nurse or I met with a social worker. It's always a first name basis. I met with Gail, Anne and Gail. Absolutely. And it, it's, no one seems just their title here. They seem like, well, they're human beings and we're connecting on a human level. It's so true. And there's something I notice when we go to clinic and it's with the doctors, you know, the whole clinic team, as well as all of the ALS um, team members as well. But they just, they really try and connect with you on a personal level and really try and connect with the patient and make sure like, what do you need? How can we help you? And it's, I think, so different than all the other types of care out there, which mm -hmm. just makes it unique and special. And you obviously, in the lead up to this diagnosis, you had a lot of um, connection to a lot of different professionals and caregivers of various kinds and nothing against them but there's a lot of people who are very clinical in their approach and yes and so we know you only have so much time we got to connect with you so you get the best services possible you know that Tony I love that point it's it's really true because oh good I keep doing it you keep doing it no it's it's so true because and this is such a unique disease as I understand it for every patient we all have different needs at different times and we need people like all of you at ALS and the clinic to just say like what are you doing today like what can I help solve for you because it's different than other diseases where it's here's a drug here's how we're gonna treat this here's how you know we're gonna just tackle it mm -hmm. where this is more you it's patient focused it's family focused and I think for us that's one of the main things that helps us get through. So you're talking about the kind of professional care that we have here at the chapter, but we also talk about just being a caregiver. And you went to a lot of pro, um, your mother's appointments leading up to this and for a while is obviously very involved. Did you have experience being a caregiver before that in any way? No, uh, no, not in the least. And I'm, I'm single, so I don't have any young children or any where I would have had a role, you know, a caregiving role. Mm -hmm. No. So was it a big... Transition for you? Did you just like this is my mom is what I gotta do? I would say it's it's the latter, you know. We're and we're, we were all kind of like that, you know. We're 
a very close-knit family. We're just like, all right, what what is it that we need to do to make her comfortable? But I think it's also hard at the same time because there's no booklet out there on how to be a good caregiver. So I feel that even though it's been a little over well, there two might be years, a few. <laughs> are there maybe maybe I should get one if my mom's listening, she might recommend it. I don't, um, <laughs> I don't have any to recommend. There's a lot of books. But you know, it's hard. There's a whole Twilight series about a werewolf and a vampire. So there's probably one. Like there a- has to be one. I should go look it up. But um, <laughs> it's hard, right? Because it's it it's so it doesn't follow its normal course, right? right? And, and it's not like everyone's the same. Like and everyone's said. the same. So you're kind of. I mean, we're still ever. I would say every two weeks, there's new things we learn that we have to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that also makes it really hard, which is different than some other diseases. And and maybe this is just. And I don't want to. I'm just speaking from personal experience and what it feels like it is. Maybe other diseases are similar, but you're constantly getting used to something. Mm-hmm. And I always, when I talk to friends and family who ask how we're doing, it's feel like you, you're like, I got this. I finally got it. We have a routine. We're moving. And then the next day, like, I you hit another I step. I mean, and you're like, all right, let me adjust to this. And mm-hmm. then you get used to it again. And I feel like ALS is a series of steps and adjustments that can be hard. Well, and... You say you you don't have kids. I have a toddler, and it's obviously much different. And not to equate the two exactly, but just in the same way, like my son is totally different than he was a couple of weeks ago. Mostly in good oh, ways, that's true. you know, and and you know, all in good ways. I don't want to I don't want to feel bad, but there's <laughs> like I don't remember him doing that. I don't remember having to think about that. Didn't he do this right? And so yeah. like with ALS, I'm sure it's similar. Whereas I don't remember that we had to do this. I thought we just got through this part. Exactly. So what do the professionals, like Anne and Gail and others, how do they help you be a caregiver? Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? Anne and Gail are just amazing. Um, They just, first of all, you know, they're always there at our clinic visits, so we always have access to them, but also all the time in between. Mm -hmm. So, Which is most of the time. Which Right? And with all those changes, it comes questions. It comes, how do I navigate? And that's where I think the chapter has been truly a godsend for our family because something comes up we email or call one of them and they immediately tackle it whether it's me whether it's my dad whether it's my mom and we get the help we need whether it's how do we she's having trouble coughing we had an issue last year this was the first time we encountered having a cold and we were panicked with how are we going to deal with this? She can't, you know, cough, mm-hmm. but she's having issues. And, it, you know, as a, as a caregiver, it's really scary because you, you don't know. Are they choking? Or can they breathe? It's all these questions that you, we just don't know. And literally, I think my dad contacted Ann and Gail, and the next day they had a nurse coming out with the cough assist to show us how to use it. And it's things like that where you feel so helpless, but we have access to all of you here. It, I can't even, I, I don't know where we would be if we didn't have you guys. And I appreciate that. And you also, you don't know that you, that those things exist a lot of the time. It's hard to search for that. Like, oh, yes. I, my, I need a cough assist. I wouldn't think that until it happens. It's, and that, that's so true, Tony. And that's, I think, another thing which we take for granted, but it, you're kind of pulling it out here, which is so true. We don't have to say we need a cough assist because, you know, I'm sure we all have experiences with doctors or other healthcare professionals where you have to be so explicit. We don't know what we need. Mm -hmm. So we just explain here's the problem. They know exactly what we need and how to explain it to us, and they give it, give that to us. It's kind of, now I'm thinking about it because I was talking about my son, a toddler, 
when you're a kid and you go to the doctor, it's like, oh, what's wrong? My tummy hurts. And your tummy is like everything from your neck to your waist. <laughs> right. And that can mean anything. Exactly. And so you got to pull it out. And you don't know those. You know it a little bit better as an adult. But, you know, I mentioned this a bunch of podcasts and in a lot of other ways. My mother's mother had Parkinson's disease. My dad's dad had ALS. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. No, <laughs> but that's terrible. It is, but every, you know, it's in the past. But my... Um, my mom had a nursing background a bit, and um, she's a teacher, but she, she knew the things to ask. And with my, my dad, a wonderful person, he cared deeply for my grandfather, but he didn't know the things to ask. So you don't know what you don't know. So true. You can be an amazing person, but if you don't know the things. So hopefully we can come in there and help you out with what you don't know. You guys absolutely do. And that's, that's the battle here. And especially because ALS is not like other diseases. It's becoming so much... I think so much awareness with Ice Bucket and all the things, teams, you know, Steve Gleason and all the things that are going on, but it's still an underrepresented disease and you can't call someone and ask them, well, how did, how did you deal with this? Right. Because it's just not as common, although sadly, I feel like every day we hear more and more stories of people getting diagnosed with it, but it's, it's not as commonplace. So that's why we need the chapter to say, here's what you need to do. Well, you know, that's a good point. Even with the Ice Bucket Challenge, there's a lot of people who know Ice Bucket but don't know ALS sometimes. Um, now, you say you're, you need to learn from people. You, you t- said before we got on here that as a caregiver, you've talked to other caregivers and gotten some tips back and forth, right? So yes. how, how have you connected with others to improve the quality of care or even just put yourself at ease? No, oh, that's a great question. So I... Um, lots I was, of great questions here. You are here. full of great questions, Tony. This is great. I'll, put it on, <laughs> I'll just put this on my resume for everything. You're a very good facilitator. Um, no, it's so I went on to Facebook. I was already on Facebook, and there are countless groups out there for either ALS caregivers. There's actually a women's ALS group that I belong to. Uh, there is ALS tips and tricks for everyday living. There are so many groups out there, and I will say this: just like anything with the internet, right? You take it take it with a grain of salt because you don't know the context of what you know, they're providing or what type of care they have or what their situation is. So you can't take it all, you have to, you know, take it at, at face value, but you can learn a lot. And also I think what really is um, therapeutic is all the stuff you learn. If there's someone out there that's battling it and they have questions, I can weigh in or someone else can weigh mm-hmm. in. And sometimes it's just, you need a hug today or something's going on. I get it because not as much as people try in, in your circles, I think it's really hard to get the challenges of this disease unless you see it firsthand. Right. Um, so it's, it's kind of both. It's that support network, but also learning. And I will say this, too, from what I've seen out there, um, not everyone has access to an ALS chapter or what I've also heard, like a MN, MND, like a... A motor neuron disease, any other kind of chapter. Clinic. Right, right. But even though there's chapters out there, sometimes people can't get to them mm-hmm. or it's not it, care and is not consistent. Right. And, and and we're, we're always working that, through the Ice Bucket Challenge. We're able to, there, there's new chapters that came about. Oh, are, really? In, in places in the country, they're underrepresented. That was a Good. goal, which is great. But, you know, our chapter's been around for over 30 years, and we have great leadership, and other chapters are going to get there. But, you know, we're fortunate that we're the principal charity of the Philadelphia Phillies. I know. So we want everyone to be at the same level as we are. I know, and that's why I feel so grateful that we are, like, as hard as it is, 
all of us, my mom and my family members included, are so grateful that we're part of the Philadelphia chapter because there are resources here that you offer that not every patient has access to. And it's sad because I don't know what we would do, Mm -hmm. honestly. Well, so do you find, I find that the caregivers that are out there are very willing and eager to share information. It's just, they know that there's questions that are hard to ask. Like there's things you wouldn't tell me. Right. Uh, but you would say, oh, I know that you've had to deal with this very sensitive thing. Can we talk? Absolutely. And I think you touched on it before as well, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. All these people are going through it, either as a patient or as a caregiver. And they have. there's so much, you know, it may not be clinical, but it's helpful. Because even if, I don't know, whatever applies to person A may not apply to me, but it makes me think of questions that mm-hmm. I can ask Anna That's a good point. or the neurologist and it helps me be more informed to better help my mom. So I like it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a good resource. Yeah. It's, it's important to know the questions to ask. And then you leave the, the clinic setting like, Oh, I wish I'd ask these things. And you can ask them by email, but it's better when you're in person or even on the phone to have like a series of things that you understand. Definitely. Like one topic that people talk a lot about is um, peg tubes, mm-hmm. right? And what can you expect and what are some of the challenges? It's and a scarier thing before you get to it. It really is. And it's amazing just how, I guess, different doctors, different surgeries, how they do it. I've heard so many different stories of it. And I think once you've gone through it, you can share tips and like, ask about this. We ran into this. Ask that question. And it gives people peace of mind. Yeah, so have you, do you think you're feeling a lot more peace of mind and calmer than you would have been otherwise, or has that, has that kind of part of it gotten easier in any way? I would say in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. So well, I think, good. I, don't, I want yeah. you to be on, I want you to be like, yeah, it's all easy. <laughs> no, I think it's, it gets easier in one way that you know you have access, again, mm-hmm. to the right people, to the right team, to get what you need. But it's also, we all know it's it's a tough disease and it's constantly progressing. Right. So you're dealing with the emotional piece of it progressing, but also how do you still continue to care for that person as they progress and making sure that they're taken care of. So well, I think it's very hard. Well, you you were talking about that you're providing care for your mom, but you've got a family system there that's providing care. So Definitely. what, what you know, you're pulling information from the, from the clinic, from the chapter to help with care. And then the family's also doing something. How does how's your family get together for that? Yeah, no, good question. Um, so we were already a very close-knit family who would get together a lot before ALS. So we still do that a lot. It's just very different, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe fun events or downloading on things. It's it's focused more on mom and, and how to care for her. Um, but so my we all live in the area, which helps. Yeah. Um, I have two sisters, and um, all in the Montgomery County area, and we're close to my parents. My dad's retired, so he is my mom's primary caregiver. Um, it's and probably the best county, too. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I know. That's what I would say. <laughs> uh, let's see if anyone's listening at this point where they're going to email me and be like, wait a minute. Schoolkill County is the best. Oh my goodness, so true. We'll see. You have to let me know. I will. Well, so, it'll be the biggest scandal of it. Even though, I mean, I live in Montgomery County too. Oh, so. yeah, right? It's a great county. <laughs> so, um, we, so my dad's uh, her primary caregiver, but my sisters and I are over almost, I would say, you know, every weeknight, one of us is there after work helping. And then on the weekends, you know, we pop in both days and we, we all take turns and however we need to work it, whether it's personal or work commitments. You know, making sure that my dad has relief, but also um, my mom has the help she needs. That's, 
that's really awesome and it's it's i mean i'm an only child so thinking about stuff as like i couldn't do it all on my own but um it's not every family is able to do that where everyone's on the same page it's really do you feel have you seen that because you've talked to other caregivers where oh man i wish i had two siblings and everyone was on the same page and took turns and made it easier on everybody yeah i mean i don't mean to sugarcoat it we have our you know we have days and weeks and times where maybe we're just all kind of frustrated but i would say on the whole we all really do you know, go all in and make sure mm-hmm. that we get it done. And, and you're right. beings, like you said. Like, everyone's got, like, I'm too tired today or I've got another family commitment. Right. But I think, you know, we've really come together um, to, to help tackle it as a family and mm-hmm. that one person having to do it. And you're right. I think it does differ family to family. But also, and I've, I've said this to a friend of mine who's also an only child, sometimes even when you have siblings, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be as willing to help. And I'm just lucky I have, I have two siblings that – are really awesome and the three of us do our best to help so so you have these siblings you got your parents and you got other people in the in the best county as we discussed of course um it's a holiday season yeah and you know there's a lot of traditions that come around there um your, your mom's had als for a little bit have your traditions changed are you looking forward to things doing together yeah i think um they've changed i think just to to meet where we're at right now. So one big thing, um, we always used to, we all like to cook. We always used to help my mom, but um, Thanksgiving, she always did the turkey, the gravy, all that stuff. And where my mom, my mom has progressed a lot in the last two years where she, um, her t- has very difficult to talk, um, has a feeding tube, doesn't have use of her arms and, and now in a wheelchair. So very limited to where we were even a year ago. Mm-hmm. So we were on duty for turkey and gravy. So that was different this year. And I have to say, it was very good. Um, <laughs> not exactly like mom's, but, you know, changing things like that. So doing things that mom used to do. Um, we also, my parents just got a stair glide in their house, which was really great right before the holiday. Uh, they have a split level, so there's all these different levels. And she was on one level where she had access to a lot of things, but wasn't on the kitchen, dining room, living room level. And we got it, and we were able to sit at a table and have Thanksgiving in our dining room for the first time in a really long time. So changing, but there's also, you know, I'm glad that we're all still at the table together. Yeah, I imagine you appreciate things at the holiday time more than normal. Yeah. And that's something that you hope you get without ALS, too. You hope, but some, unfortunately, right, sometimes things like ALS cause you to think and appreciate more. Right. That's going to that's gonna happen. So you got a Steriglide now. Yep. And you're talking about some other services that you've gotten through the chapter, including yes. the Howard I. Abrams in-home care program. Yes. So how have those things, what, what tools and programs have really helped the family overall? Definitely. The in-home program has been amazing. I can't speak, you know, enough about it because, you know, even though, and, and this is why, you know, my heart goes out to families that don't have all, you know, just immediate mm-hmm. family help. Because even just with, you know, my two sisters and my dad, it's still extremely difficult to, to manage all of it because it um, it requires care 24-7, you know, to and, some degree. And like you said, none of you, as far as you said, are like professionals at this, right? Exactly, which, um, again, need to find a book out there because I could probably learn some things. But it's it's really hard. And also when you think about um, still trying to do things together or getting my dad out of the house or um, giving my dad a break because my sisters and I try and be there as much as we can, but we all have full-time jobs and Mm -hmm. we can only do so much Monday through Friday. 
So um, we contacted Gail and Ann to talk about the in-home program. Started with four hours a week. We're now up to 10 hours a week. So my dad and mom get help um, Monday through Friday for two hours every morning. And it's truly wonderful because my, my parents are older as it is. Um, you know, and we have to worry about my dad. It's hard to pick up someone and tr do the transfers and do all those things when he's, you know, not a spring chicken himself anymore. And the in-home care program gives us that peace of mind. It helps give my mom the care she needs and also not... Um, financially taxing us at least for those 10 hours and that's something I find so frustrating with the disease right I mean there's so many diseases out there that you get decent coverage because it involves hospitals or drugs but the uniqueness of ALS a lot of what you need is care and yeah. none of that is covered and it's it's tough because when you sit down and think about the financial implications of this disease it can be crippling and you want to make sure that you still have resources to help um, other family members. And how do you plan for that? I mean, it's a financial planning nightmare, I think. And um, the in-home program, by getting those donated hours, helps give you that peace of mind. So it's hard enough dealing with the emotional side of ALS, but when you have to think about the financial piece, it, it just makes me so sad for all of our families that we have to do all that, because it's hard enough all by itself. Yeah, I, I know, like I said, I, I always put in the perspective, you know, I think about the things that we have as a family, and my wife and sons, sons soon, and I, um, and it's tough, but we know that we can do it, and how many people can't, um, but you're, you know, you're talking about your dad, and that he's a caregiver, and I imagine that, you know, with, with spousal caregivers, a lot of times, you want to do everything, it's hard, you know, you put so much on yourself, you don't realize you have to take care of your own health, so the Abrams Home Care Program, can help because we need your dad to be healthy. Like it's not good for your mom if your dad is not doing well. And that that's part of it too, right? We need to keep our caregivers healthy and it's tough. You know, it's tough. Um, again, those transfers are taxing and yeah. it's, so the fact that they can come in the morning, they'll help get my mom dressed, brush her teeth, um, you know, take her to and from the bathroom. It gives my dad two hours where he knows he has time to do whatever it is he needs to do. And physically, it gives him a break. And honestly, I, I don't know what we would do. And when you think about, you know, when I talked about those forums on Facebook and what people are dealing with, I mean, the in-home care is such, it's a hurdle. No one, like, I don't know many people who have long-term care insurance because it's outrageously expensive. Mm -hmm. And to do it on your own, fully on your own, is, it, it it's a burden. And you probably think, because people have ALS at all ages, almost. And when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, you're like, I don't need it. I don't need that. Yeah. And then, you know, you're not expecting an ALS tomorrow. Why would you? Because you didn't expect any of this. No. Absolutely not. Who would, I mean, it's such a, what felt like an obscure disease. You know, now we're all, it's just, sadly, we're all having to learn so much about it. So many families are getting touched by it. Yeah. So, um, you're, you would recommend if someone has ALS or knows someone in the Philadelphia chapter area, 
contact their clinical people because this is a service you should really take on if you can. Oh, I can't recommend it enough. You know, reach out and even, you know, see what you qualify for. It, even if it's just two hours a week, take what you can. And, you know, as you progress, as I understand it, that's when they'll up your hours. I think it's up to, if I'm not mistaken, 12 hours a week that they'll give donated. And it's time that can help your your patients and your caregivers. And, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought, Tony. You made me think of one other thing with it. Um well, those oh, you can change your caregivers. Mm -hmm. So I just would want other families to know that where we had an initial caregiver that wasn't bad, but my mom just didn't feel a connection. And when you think about what these caregivers are doing, mm -hmm. it's personal. So we actually, through, you know, we live right around the chapter. So we've gone through home helpers and they've been fantastic. And my mom now has two caregivers that she really, really likes and she can feel safe with and trust. And that's... I can imagine from a patient standpoint, really important. You know, you brought up trust, and that's something I was talking about with Andy in the last podcast. And it helps that we recorded that one a couple hours ago. <laughs> right. um, but we were talking about with research about how the ALS Association needs to be as honest as possible and not give false hope, but also just be, you, you, we need to be a trustworthy source because mm -hmm. that way people will come to us, not because we want your money, though we want donations, but also so that you'll get the best care possible. And we don't want people to miss out on resources. Um, so it's important, if you're going to get something as personal as in-home care, that you have a resource like Gail and Ann that you can trust on a, and connect with so that you know that they're going to give me the kind of caregiver I need. Absolutely. And that's it, it, it's trust with Ann and Gail. It's trust them with the Home Helpers organization. And they make it feel like you can be honest. You know, you can say, I'm just not comfortable with this person or I don't feel right. I mean, it's when... I can't imagine someone having to pick me up and do everything for me. You have to feel like you trust them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's important. So if you're not, if you are currently using a um, a caregiver or a home care, and you're not comfortable, speak up because at least in our experience, they've been open to it and they and they get it. Okay. Well, so uh, one other thing we were talking about before here, you've got a lot of connections you made. One way people can make a connection is through the Walk to Defeat ALS. Now you've done the walk before. Yes. Um, now we're in December. People can still donate to a walk team in for 2015. You can also start registering for next year's walks in the spring, um, which is just crazy to me looking at it and realizing 2016 is coming. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, and even though we hear about 2016 all the time with this crazy election going. So what do you, what would did you get out of being at a walk and what do you think people should, why people, should people do that? Because that's a positive experience that you were able to do it is. I think it's it's a sense of community, you know, where at least what I felt personally, it, it, it's an underrep, you know, it, it it's a You feel rare like there's not disease. enough people that have it. You're, you're yeah. Not enough people. You feel like, oh, no one I know has ALS. Right. And because you wanna, until I worked here, no one I knew had ALS except for my grandfather. Wow. See, and that's, and the more I feel like you connect with folks, you learn more and, and you feel that sense of community because it can be really isolating and scary. And I think going to a walk where you see, wow, you see people at all different stages, like I, I can do that. Look at what they're doing or look at how they're, you know, coming together for this. I think it, it can give you some hope and also help you think, you know, the greater cause, you know, we're here to help raise money not just for research, but what I'd also, again, because of the in-home care program, I think it's so important to raise money for patient services because as much as I think research is important, patients need help 
now. You know, they need, whether it's caregivers, whether it's, um, we have, we've used a lot of stuff from your loaner closet. I mean, we need access to things as patients and families, and money is not just for research, but it's also patient services. Well, when we're talking about research, you know, it's all interconnected. So I was talking before with someone that, you know, if we have, if you're able to extend your life, if you're able to have better quality of care, then you're able to connect to, to trials. You're able to do things research-wise. You know, you can't have one or the other. So the, the, hopefully the patient care services will help you connect to research in ways that you probably wouldn't have otherwise if you wanted to. Yeah, I think, I think it could. Well, that's good. So, I mean, you're learning about it. It's, it's obviously very complicated. So, you know, I, I hear about the researchers and I'm like, I think I get that this time. You know, and I've been here for four or five years. So I, now it's starting to get to me, but it can be very complex. Especially oh, someone doesn't know it. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of learning that goes involved in all aspects of ALS. Definitely. You've done other events, been part of other events too, like the Longwood Gardens. Yes. So what was that? That's not a fundraising event. No. Um, it, but it's a nice patient and family event where you can connect. Um, and we haven't talked about that on this podcast. We've gone almost 50 episodes. So what was what's the Longwood Gardens like for you? So Longwood Gardens was so cool. And what we really appreciated is that you paid for. The ALS chapter, uh, Philadelphia chapter, paid for patients and families to go. So there was no additional cost. It was just a nice day out with your family and to connect with other families. You know, it was a beautiful day this year. I think it was early May that that you guys hosted it. Um, Beautiful weather, beautiful tent, and just seeing other patients, getting to interact, and being around people who get it. So maybe if someone's having trouble eating something, there's comfort in knowing that everyone there gets it you Mm -hmm. know they know because when you're out in public people don't know what you're dealing with so those events i think are nice to connect to the als family and also give those families a chance to spend time together yeah i i remember at our annual luncheon last year with the phillies i talked um kurt schilling was there and the phillies are connected and everything and he had mentioned that his sons when they see someone in a wheelchair they're not afraid to talk to them Okay. And now I think that with people with ALS, now when they see someone that's going through something like ALS, instead of saying, oh, that's awkward, oh, that's someone that could be a friend, <laughs> like someone I could talk to and maybe yeah. gets it. So, so true. So hopefully you go to the longer gardens and you're like, oh, these are people that I might be able to learn something from or meet with and they, we have something in common. Yes. I think that having that in common and being able to connect with one another on it is really important. So you're going to continue these connections. Absolutely. In 2016. We hope to see you at a walk or some other event coming up. You bet. we got hot chocolate coming up in March. Yes. I keep missing all of these events. I missed all the recent caregiver ones, but I'm hoping I can do the hot chocolate. Well, you should. A hot chocolate is a terrific event at, at um, Adventure Aquarium this coming March. And you can look for information about that on our website, alsphiladelphia.org. It's, I'm hoping I can take my wife because she's never been and she always feels bad about that. Um, but you get a lot of chocolate desserts and things like that, uh, and it's a good fundraiser for ALS. Um, there's our ALS Express bike ride. There's a walk to defeat ALS. So if you're listening, you want to make some connections, um, please learn about our events at alsphiladelphia.org and find out how you can do more. You can also find our podcast there at alsphiladelphia.org slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes looking for the ALS podcast and on social media of all channels at alsphiladelphia. So, Meg, we'll continue making these connections with you and hopefully make it a little bit easier for all the caregivers out there. Definitely. Thanks so much, Tony. Thanks for coming all the way out here. I know it was a far drive for you. (laughs)
<laughs> Super far. Here in Montgomery County. So <laughs> thanks. Continue listening. Like us and share us and uh, subscribe on iTunes. So we'll talk to you all soon and have a happy holiday season.